what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hello, and thank you for joining us today for the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we hold conversations about all sorts of topics related to the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents and preparing for our own future. My name is Frances Hall. My usual podcast partner, Jane Everson, is away today. Jane and I are two of the estimated 31 million adults in the United States, people just like you, our listeners, who are caring for our aging parents and for ourselves. We know firsthand that there are lots of things we need to know and lots of things we learn along the way as we accompany our parents as they and we age. In this session, we will be talking about pharmaceutical issues associated with aging. My guest today is Dr. Jacob Holler. Dr. Holler earned a doctorate in pharmacy from UNC Chapel Hill and has been employed in retail pharmacy most of his career. He is currently a pharmacist with Rite Aid in Hickory, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us today, Jake, and welcome to the caregiver community. Thank you for having me. Okay. As we age, medications can play an important role in helping our parents and us maintain health and manage conditions associated with aging. I suspect many of us really don't fully understand the role that pharmacists may play. So let's begin with just some basic questions. What is a pharmacist? A pharmacist is a healthcare professional who practices the profession of pharmacy they're a member of the healthcare team that's directly involved in patient care. Pharmacists undergo university level education that helps them understand the bio- biochemical mechanisms of actions of drugs, drug uses, and therapeutic roles, side effects, potential drug interactions, and monitoring parameters. Pharmacists interpret and communicate this specialized knowledge to patients, physicians, and other healthcare providers. That's a mouthful. <laughs> okay, so what kind of training do do you as pharmacists actually have? Well, now all pharmacists have to um, attain a doctorate of pharmacy, which is a four, which means they go through four years of pharmacy school, and and um, that's in addition to four years of college. Yes, well, okay. it's not. There's a minimum set of requirements that you have to meet before you can apply for pharmacy school, and then you have to take admissions testing, and then they. They go four years of school, three years of classroom training, and then one year of internship. Okay. And when may a pharmacist be the appropriate person to help us with a condition or illness instead of going to a doctor or a hospital? Well, uh, I always think of pharmacists as the, as the most accessible health care professional, especially a retail pharmacist, because you can just walk right up to us and talk to us. If you have a health care concern, we're going to be a point of contact that you can, you can just walk right up, ask us your question, and generally we can either give you an answer or refer you to somebody that would be appropriate to help you with your need. So. And I certainly have done that lots. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I, I love that. I mean, I, lo- I love being accessible to patients. And if you, ha- if, if you have a pharmacist that, that you can mesh with, then you can find them to be a very, very helpful resource to help you with your health care needs. Absolutely. And what a great segue to our next question. So now that we know more about pharmacists, let's talk about developing a relationship with pharmacists in our communities. Where are pharmacists typically employed? 
Um, 65% of the pharmacists in the United States are employed in retail pharmacies um, in the retail setting, um, most of which are salaried employees with a chain pharmacy. There are still quite a few independent pharmacies, as many people know, too. Um, 22% of pharmacists work in the hospitals to help doctors with medication selection and look out for problems in the hospital um, when people are admitted there. And then the rest of them work in either mail order or internet pharmacy for pharmaceutical wholesalers um, or in the uh, practice with physicians, directly working with patients in physician offices. That's starting to expand now, too. And the the government. A lot of them work for, you know, the military and the federal government, track care, uh, that kind of thing. You know, those are some areas that we don't typically think of. I Mm -hmm. think of, you know, I just think of, oh, yeah, the the local drugstore, whether it's a chain or whether it's it's an independent. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't thinking of all those different places. Mm -hmm. Pharmacists have a lot of impact because I always think of a pharmacist being – like the check and balance on the healthcare system because the doctors make the selection of your medications and then the pharmacists kind of double check and make sure it's appropriate for you for any disease states you might have, any factors like your organ function or your age or, you know, that, those type of things. So the pharmacist is kind of somebody that has your back on, on your medicines, I think. so. And they're, they're making sure your physician is making that the appropriate selection for you. It's not that they're questioning your physician's decision, but just more so that they're they're making sure that that is appropriate for you. Then, if you if if you discovered that there were two medications that that you might be thinking that may not work together very well or mm-hmm. might be an issue, what would you do? Well, I mean, it, your pharmacist needs to protect you from. Your pharmacist needs to look out for those things needs to know you know you know your medicines and that's i think that's another question we were going to talk about of why you should deal with only one pharmacy it's so that you can develop that personal relationship with somebody they can be concerned for you care for you know you as a person and be able to know if something's not right for you or a choice of medicine is not right for you so but but i mean what the what the pharmacist should do is if they find a problem they should call the doctor and work it out i mean let let them know what the concern is communicate with the doctor there you know as part of the healthcare team to make sure that the right decision is made so, for the patient so i had heard you say in a presentation one time mm-hmm. something about um it, it really is a good idea to have all of your medications centered in one pharmacy mm-hmm. and one pharmacist mm-hmm. for that very reason so yes, that there really is a, a, an, an understanding of how all the medications are working together both over the counter as well as um as well as prescriptions mm-hmm. so that that really sort of underscores that you said something a minute ago How can pharmacists help us become more educated about over-the-counter resources, vaccines, prescription medications, all of that? I'll I'll be honest with you. When I'm at work, I'm very busy in many different facets of my job. I mean, now we are heading back into flu season, and now pharmacists have become a resource for vaccinations for flu and, and other common diseases. So, and then also we're doing our traditional role as dispensing, counseling patients, talking to people about their medications. So we're, I feel like I'm running around like pretty pretty rapid rate when I'm at work, but I, I think that the important thing to take away here is your pharmacist, if you have a concern about your medicine, your pharmacist should be concerned enough to stop what they're doing and take time to talk to you about it, work it out with you, explain to you, and don't hesitate to, to, to do that because that's what our number one priority is, is to look out for for making sure that that medication selection is right for you. If you're having any side effects or having any problems with how to take it, 
unsure, do not hesitate to ask because no matter what, if your pharmacist is, is a worthy pharmacist, they're going to take time immediately to make sure that's clear to you. That's really good and really important information. Mm-hmm. Talk a little, um, I know, I guess most pharmacies now, when someone gets a prescription medication filled, they not only get the medication, but they also get the flyer that goes along with that. How mm-hmm. important is it for people to really read that? I think it's essential that people know what medicines they're taking by name, the spelling of it, the exact spelling of it, the exact milligram dose of it, to know an exact list of their medicine. And if they're not exactly sure of the names, to at least keep a complete and accurate list on on their person in their wallet or their purse. I think that's essential. Um, I think they should try to be educated about what the medicines are, what t- what the class of medicine is, what the effects are on the body, what the expected side effects are, things like that. To educate yourself about your medicine is essential, I think, before you take it. <laughs> One of the things that I have found really helpful with my mother is that I I, I say that I that my iPad is with me all the time, and it is. And not only do I have anything that I take or my husband takes, but I also have listed all the medications and the dosages that my mother takes, and any medications that she has had any sort of um, any sort of reaction to. I think that's great. Yeah, I think everyone should do that, and. Unfortunately, some people's uh, elder family member suffers from cognitive impairment, and that's where the role of the caregiver needs to step up and make that list happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really handy to have it right there because you never know when you're going to need Mm -hmm. that, whether it's an iPad or or an iPhone or whatever. You could have your family member trip and fall and end up on a ride to the ER, and then that's the first thing they're going to want to look at. So, I mean, if they have it on their person, they can provide it because they'll be confused or in shock or something, so they can just... Just hand that to the the medical people, and that would really help in that situation. So. But you also seem to be advocating for the person, even the elderly person, mm-hmm. to have to have with them, like in a wallet or whatever, where their maybe where their insurance card is, for them to also have a listing of all the medications and anything they've had reactions to. Yes, ma'am. In, in addition to um, those of us who are the caregivers. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Um, You mentioned a minute ago about flu shots. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little about that. I I have been a little surprised recently Mm -hmm. to see how many signs I see Mm -hmm. of pharmacies and and all kinds of places that say, get your flu shot here. Mm -hmm. Talk about this new trend, please. Well, I mean... There's always a potential for a pandemic disease and flu. It can be, the, you know, in 1918, there was a pandemic flu that was really bad. And I think so public health perspective says that people need to have flu shots. I think it's a good thing. And I think that the government and the boards of pharmacy and the medical board have recognized the importance of this. So back in late 2013, they authorized where pharmacists now can give vaccines, especially um, flu vaccines and also many common disease vaccines. Um, I think I think that that everyone, you know, it, for vaccines to succeed, it has to be participated with by a majority of people. So I think that's why it's good that now you can just walk up to your pharmacy and get the flu shot because it can be more easily disseminated that way and help protect the whole community. So I think it's a great thing. Oh, it certainly is so much more convenient. Mm-hmm. What are the other shots that that a pharmacist might be able to give? We also vaccinate without a prescription for Zostavax, which is the herpes zoster vax. Uh, virus, um, which is 
the, the virus, same virus that causes chicken box. So. And that's we would commonly know it as the shingles Correct. shot. Yes, okay. ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And now any of us who've had chicken pox are at risk for that. Now they vaccinate our children for it, but any of us um, older, I think they've only been vaccinated for chicken pox for about a decade now. So it, any of us older than a decade are at risk for shingles at some point in our life. Oh, and the goody. guidelines on that are. Um, it's recommended now by the CDC 50 and over, but every, all the insurances generally carry it without question for 60 and over. Okay. We okay. also um, vac- vaccinate for hepatitis B and also for Tdap, which is tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis, which there's been a, an outbreak of that in California, pertussis. And any elders who have contact with a baby, a grandchild, needs to probably get that vaccine because it will protect them from infecting the infant so that's an important one to have if you and it also has the tetanus in there which if you get cut or something like that i often have patients come in and that's when i recommend it because they haven't had a tetanus shot within 10 years so you want to make sure to get that one as well so. good information i would never have oh and i forgot those. about another important one pneumovax which is the pneumonia vaccine that's the other one we can do without a prescription now right okay now i think always about going to my doctor's office for mm-hmm. those kinds of shots mm-hmm. Because I figured they're trained and they know, you know, if there's a reaction or whatever. Mm-hmm. What is the training that pharmacists would have to give those injections? In pharmacy school, we we learn we have to learn about all forms of medications, how they're administered, and how to administer them. So we already in pharmacy school receive training in regard to administering shots, but we also are required to take a certificate level coursework, which is about 24 hours of additional coursework plus a lot plus hands-on training so we've been thoroughly trained so so does that mean that you're giving injections to oranges and that sort of thing yeah and each other in lab oh, so we had uh, a lot of we had a lot of practical experience as well and, and the orange can't give you feedback of ouch <laughs> right, that hurts but right. the person can huh? I, I mean i i don't want to boast but I, people tell me i'm not too bad i tell I always tell people i can be as gentle as i can be with a needle so but good to know good to know <laughs> we all, i mean anecdotally pharmacists are i mean we we give a lot of immunizations, but we don't do it as routinely as nurses do. So people say that we're generally a little more sensitive than nurses are. Not to knock on nurses. Uh, let's not. <laughs> they, are, they are wonderful, wonderful. Oh, I love nurses. But, but, I, but it really is helpful to be able just to walk into a pharmacy oh, yes. and get the shot knowing that the pharmacist is trained and that those that those medications are just as good as what we would get in our doctor's Oh, offices. sure. And I mean, I mean, honestly, a lot of the doctors have have really appreciated us taking that burden off of them because, I mean, it, it sure. was kind of something that you had to almost see schedule an appointment to be able to work in. So it's kind of helped them be able to attend more to their their more what's their practice. So. Well, that makes me feel more mm-hmm. at ease to, mm-hmm. to go that route. Oh, yeah. And the Zostavax, I mean, honestly, you need to get that in a pharmacy because it has to be kept and it has to be delivered frozen. And then once it's reconstituted, it has to be administered within one hour. So your doctor's office can't guarantee the cold chain of custody necessarily. So that's why a lot of them automatically send people to the pharmacy now for that vaccine. Interesting. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. In an earlier session of the caregiver community, Mm -hmm. a nurse educator helped us understand some of the more common conditions associated with aging, Mm -hmm. conditions that may affect our heart, our breathing, blood flow, memory loss, even infections, for example. And of course, when it comes to medicines, we all see the ads on on televisions and in magazines. 
But are there types of medications that we should all know about as we age because they address conditions associated with aging? Are there yes, any? I think so. I mean, we have we have medicines that protect our organ systems and keep keep our body functioning properly. So, I mean, we need to. I think we should utilize those medicines when the need arises. Things like cholesterol medication, blood pressure lowering agents. Um, even things that help our memory, if we if we notice we need help with that, because those drugs are essential to begin as early as possible when you notice cognitive impairment, because uh, because it will help slow the disease progress, and also people need things to help with their mood and their you know to help with with chemical imbalances. I mean with with uh, mood and depression and things like that. So I, I think those agents are very helpful as well. Um, because of the stress of being a caregiver and the stress stresses of life can be really hard for people. So, and then um, you know people have other ailments such as the need for antibiotics. Um, when they get older, they're more prone to picking up pneumonia and different types of skin infections and things like that. So, I mean, medications are are very helpful and useful, and I think that we shouldn't hesitate to use them and not be fearful of them. I mean. It just if we have to be on a medicine, if our doctor feels that's necessary, it's just important to number one educate yourself. Why do I need this? What is my disease that I've been diagnosed with? How is the medicine going to help improve that? What other non-drug things can I do to help improve the disease? And just um, just know that I mean the medicine is there to help you, and and just research it. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder: you're listening to the Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. You have talked about the role of the pharmacist, but but I... But my understanding is that anytime we are prescribed a medication, that not only will we get the information, but it really is okay to talk with a pharmacist about is there any interaction mm-hmm. of the medications I'm taking? Is Are there side effects mm-hmm. that I really should be on the lookout for? Are there even foods that I should not eat because I'm taking these mm-hmm. medications? Definitely. I, I think that's great. I, I actually welcome those conversations because I don't want to be just a robotic pill dispenser. And I think that the profession of pharmacy, the things that, that they learn in pharmacy school now are gearing us toward making, being part of the healthcare team and making appropriate healthcare selections for people. So I, I think that's great. I, I, I definitely, and we also now are, are employing through a lot of the Medicare D plans, we're employing uh, medication therapy management, which is where we actually can sit down and do a comprehensive medication review with you. We actually block out time in our day, and we're able to bill for that now. So that is a cognitive service that a pharmacist can offer you, and then get compensated for. And it, it's worth it. You know, then they can sit down for twenty, thirty minutes with you, and it, you don't have to feel guilty about it. Good to know. Um, so those services are available now for many Medicare Part D plans. So, so you might want to, you know, see if you, if you're. And if you have to be on 10 medications and you're worried about it, I mean, you're, I'm pretty sure your Medicare Part D plan can, can authorize you to sit down with your pharmacist and make sure everything jives for you. So, 
And while medications can be awfully important, um, there, there are times that there can be too many. Yes, yes, definitely. And, I mean, we're working now with Medicare Part D plans. They, they also, through those cognitive services that we're promoting right now, when we recognize one, we, we traditionally have, have taken care of it and not been compensated for it, even though, but now they recognize the value in that, and they're, in, they're not, not necessarily incentivizing us, but they're recognizing that we're doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the Medicare Part D plans will also, um, will also send us things that, like formulary enhancement things that they want us to take care of. Like if there are certain medications in the same family of medicine, you can get more value by taking a generic but still get the same effects. They'll, they'll help us to, to do that for you where it'll help you get a cheaper medication that does the same thing for you and things like that. So Good to know. Good yeah. to know. Okay, sort of on the flip side, mm-hmm. are there some medications that really are not suitable for an older person? Definitely. I think that that's also something that pharmacists should be looking out for for your elder. Is is this medication appropriate for for their age bracket? Because there's some medications that are just absolutely not suitable for for elders. And there's a there's a group, um, the American Geriatric Society, gets a panel of experts together every couple of years, and they come out with something called the Beers List or the Beers Criteria, and they they give examples of certain classes of medications that are not advised for for geriatrics they list them by the type of drug being contraindicated for that age bracket and then also drugs that may exacerbate or worsen other disease other disease conditions and conditions so i could go into some of those specifics if you'd like me to um why don't we why don't we just leave that at this point um, because it sounds like there are lots of opportunities for people to go to their pharmacist and to make well, sure Well I'll, I'll put it this way when it when one of those comes up I'm I'm 100% familiar with those drugs um, when one of those comes up I just I immediately just contact the doctor and want to want to make them justify if it's one that's kind of a gray area we all let's face it. We if if an elder has a fall, it can be debil- extremely debilitating and potentially life threatening. So I mean, if it's a drug that could cause a fall, could cause a side effect that you know could could result in you know urinary retention, which can lead to urinary tract infections, uh, things like you know there are a lot of those drugs that I'm just going to automatically say, Doc, what's what's the why are we doing this you know maybe it would be helpful for our listeners to have an idea of some of those what are they categories i Mm -hmm. guess yes ma'am yeah um a lot of like you you think of drugs that are called anticholinergic drugs those are drugs that slow down the bowels dry up the um dry eyes dry mouth urinary retention those type of things which can all be really a problem for elders um they're they're drugs like um, antihistamines, like Benadryl, is a, pr- a prime example of one that's really notorious. So sometimes it's even OT- over-the-counter drugs that are affected. Um, also, another example is promethazine, which is an, a nausea medicine that people a lot of times will get prescriptions for. So Another type of drug that can be problematic for, for elders is an antispasmodic drug. That would be like um, hyoscyamine or Levbit or some of the older drugs like um, dicyclamine, that's also another one that's commonly used. Um, another biggie that's a problem for elders is a, actually a very commonly used antibiotic called um, nitrofurantoin or macrobid. Uh, it's one that they, 
that they use a lot for for ladies when they get a urinary tract infection. But unfortunately, it's not a good necessarily a great choice for elders. So, but another um, another category of drugs where the, where we have trouble is with alpha blockers, which is like doxazosin, which is used for for men, for prostate for for um, elder men, and terazosin, which is another common one. Um, and then another common one that can cause trouble for people is uh, the alpha agonist like clonidine, which is, should never be used as a first-line blood pressure medicine for elders. So let's just always keep that in mind. And then another one that can be sometimes problematic is um, some of the antiarrhythmic drugs, but a lot of times cardiology is involved with that, so we just need to make sure we're having a good discourse with our cardiology about why we need to be on the antiarrhythmic drug. Um, digoxin is another common drug in the elders. Also, cardiology drug. It, it, we just have to watch for toxicity with that drug with the elders because that can really cause a lot of a lot of trouble. But it is it is commonly used in heart failure in elders. So. The tricyclic antidepressants is also another big one. That's an older drug like Elavil, amitriptyline, those type of drugs. They can be very anticholinergic, so that's why we don't like those. And, and that term is anti-cholinergic. That's where it dries up the dries up. Yeah, it dries you up, so it can cause a lot of problems, and it can also put you at risk for falls. So, um, and then a, another one that can be a problem is the antipsychotic drugs, and we sometimes we have to use those. Um, some of the the newer ones are a better selection versus the older ones. That's all I have to say. I mean, we unfortunately sometimes we do have to use those for for elders. Though a big one that I really really. Try to educate people about is benzodiazepines. That's like Xanax, um, Valium, those type of drugs. Those put people at extreme risk for falls. So I just really suggest that people try to avoid those and use another agent for anxiety if they can help it, because those can be really problematic for elders. Just a, a few more biggies as far as categories is um, just estrogen. Um, a lot of Elders are on estrogen replacement and testosterone replacement. That's just a you know we'll make sure we evaluate the risk versus benefits of those. And then the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Those are drugs even simply like aspirin, naproxen, ibuprofen. We go to those drugs for aches and pains of arthritis many times, but those drugs can be really problematic for elders because of the increase for risk for gastrointestinal bleeding and ulcers, that type of thing. So we really, because of the fact that arthritis is, is mean and, and painful, but right. we want to try to probably try acetaminophen first if we can or, or um, just make sure that we talk to our doctor about the risk versus benefits of those type of drugs because they're really problematic and as we age if we have to take them habitually. So that would be kind of tending toward take Tylenol, not... More yeah. aspirin. Yes, ma'am, definitely. The American geriatrics groups all recommend first-line therapy to take acetaminophen for the arthritis, aches, and pains, definitely. Um, I mean, and a few other biggies, just diabetic medicines like sulfonylureas that can cause you to bottom out. You have to just be really careful. That there are a lot of newer agents that can be more appropriate for that age group. Some of the older ones like... Um, globuride can, if you don't take take it right when you eat, it can really cause your blood sugar to get out of whack. And that's also the case for insulin because of all the insulin-related administration issues. Um, we have to just make sure that our, our elder is really educated about insulin and how to give it, how much to give, what the different types of insulins will do to their blood sugar. I think that's really important for them to talk about as well. 
And then the other biggie is just the skeletal muscle relaxants like um, Soma, those type of things. Really anything that could put you at risk for a fall. I mean, you just have to be really careful with those drugs as well. And and it sounds I I hear you saying over and over risk and and at fall for falls particularly, mm-hmm. which is such a huge issue it is. for our elders. It really is. Yeah, yeah, but it also sounds like what you're saying is there are times that even some of these that you've listed, there are times that that is the appropriate medication. But it has to really be guarded and really mm-hmm. talk with your physician, talk with your pharmacist, mm-hmm. and make sure that given all the potential side effects, that that really is the best medication, the best drug for whatever is going on. Yeah, and I think that's, honestly, I think that's the case for any medicine. I mean, you always want to weigh the benefit versus the risk of any medication that you take. The ones I highlighted, though, are just ones that we're particularly on guard for. Good, good, good highlight. Thank you. And our listeners are primarily adult child caregivers of aging parents, so this is all really good information. But we may be directly managing a parent's medications from their home that's near us, or we may be doing that from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, how, are there strategies for learning about and managing medications that pharmacists can help us with? Definitely. I deal with caregivers in both those situations at my store and we have a lot of services that we offer that assist you and we want to assist you with taking care of your elder and we have a lot of neat neat things that we can do now we have uh, free home delivery that we deliver to a very i'd say i'd say 80 percent of the people that we deliver to are elders and that's that way they don't have to venture out of their house we can get it right in their hands so and that's that a good deli- service. Absolutely. That delivery is so, so helpful. And I, mm-hmm. my understanding is that a number of pharmacies are doing that now. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I just think it's a great value-added service that the pharmacies are doing for folks now. I mean, we don't absolutely. charge a penny for it. And that way you can get your medication without having to worry about even um, walking up to the counter or even going to the drive-up. So. Absolutely. But we do have the drive-up, which a lot of caregivers use that as well to pick up and then we have another program called Courtesy Refill, which a lot of, almost all of our competitors now offer that service. It's just a reminder service. To, it, ours in particular will prompt us 28 days after you fill it for when, it, when your next medicine will be due. So we'll already have it ready. We'll have it ordered if it happened to be out of stock um, so that it, those won't be issues for you. Boy, and particularly for caregivers who are a distance away from mm-hmm. parents, that is re- both particularly the delivery service and the automatic refill. Boy, those are mm-hmm. really helpful. Yes, ma'am. Those are really helpful. Yeah, we also set up credit card billing accounts, and I know there's been some concern with that over security, but we have an encrypted um, credit card service that we use, so I and feel that, confident with, with that as well. So. And that probably would be for most pharmacies if they are doing that. Yeah, I'm sure. We, um, the way we do it is we just scan your credit card initially, and then we never use it again. It goes to an encrypted service, and they just give us a pass key every time when we bill. So. Gotcha, gotcha. But we also accept cash and check for our deliveries as of well. So. <laughs> what about sometimes for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. medications are left over or they're not used? Mm-hmm. What is the best way of disposing of those unused medications? Well, they say don't flush it because they don't want it to get in the water supply. Uh, but that doesn't um, mean that, that we can necessarily take it back at the pharmacy just because we don't have the resources for disposal. We will dispose of empty plastic bottles for you because that will go back for um, – we'll keep all confidential 
trash sequestered with all the HIPAA laws in place. But we can't accept pills back because we can't mix that in with our stock, obviously. Sure. So the best thing to do is there's Operation Pill Stopper, which is at any police station. You can take it back there if it's a controlled substance and you're worried about that falling into the wrong hands. I personally recommend that people just dump all the pills into something fairly secure, like a coffee can or a two-liter bottle with the lid, and then putting that inside of something else and then putting that inside of the trash. That's my personal suggestion. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Mm -hmm. This has been very, very informative. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any final words of wisdom or advice that you'd like for our listeners to know? I I definitely just say just develop a personal relationship with your pharmacist. I I love the fact that I know my customers. I I like to be able to just say hey to them when I'm out and about in town. And I I feel like, I, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of my customers because I think they're really nice people. And I think that's how most pharmacists feel. We're out, we're out there to help you. We want to make sure you're taking the right medicines. So don't hesitate to come up and talk to us. That is wonderful information. Great. Thank you, Jake, so much for being with us today and for sharing such important information. And thank you to each of our listeners. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast and learned something that will help you in your caregiving journey. This podcast is a program of ACAP Community and part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may learn more about the MESH and check out the other programs available through them for free at www.themesh.tv. That's www.themesh.tv. On that site, you may send us a question or a recommendation for future show topics using the contact button. We also encourage you to find us on Apple iTunes. There you may subscribe to the Caregiver Community and automatically receive future Caregiver Community podcasts. If you'd like more information about ACAP Community and its educational programs, including the Caregiver Community podcasts, you may go to www.acapcommunity.com and ACAP, the letters A-C-A-P, stand for Adult Children of Aging Parents. So our website is www.acapcommunity.com or you may email us at info at acapcommunity.com or call us toll-free at 1-877-599-ACAP. That's 1-877-599-2227. Jake, again, thank you for being with us today, and thank you listeners for spending time with us at the Caregiver Community. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.